0: What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMarriage.com here with another episode of the RMR podcast. Today, I'm joined by uh, co-founder and CEO of Clayborn Cannabis Co. Nick Ortega. How you doing today, Nick?
1: Good. How you doing? Thanks for hanging me. in.
0: Hanging in there, man. I know we were just talking offline. You're bragging about the weather down there in, in SoCal. I'm up here in the gray in Seattle. Um, 75
1: and sunny down here.
0: Yeah, I'm cold, man. I ain't even been out the house. I've been, you know, I've been in a hoodie. I've been in the, 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 the house and the studio and I've been in the hoodie. Yeah. So, man, well, you know, I kick every episode off about the, my guest origin story around the plant. You can keep it, you know, personal, of your personal experiences when you first started dabbling in cannabis or professional or a little bit of both. It's up to you what you want to be vulnerable and, and choose to share. But I just love to know kind of your origin story with with this plant and the plant being cannabis.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I grew up uh, in Riverside, California, where I born and raised, still live there. We were a bunch of skate rats, uh, you know, running around we weird kids and uh, teenagers. And I guess I was introduced to the plant early on in high school, I guess you could say. And um, yeah, uh, as time progressed, and uh, that was early 2000s, I guess that would be. But man, I just had so many friends that just got into it hardcore uh, on the traditional market, you know, back in uh, on 215 days. and. Uh, I had to, it was just so interesting to me, right? Uh, I didn't make it a business like they did, but it was always extremely interesting to me. And when we had rec pass in California, I, uh, you know, just was trying to get my friends to, that were that were always operating on the traditional market that grew amazing product to get them to come over and hey man, we should, we should start a brand. You know, we should get this thing in the rec market and they just weren't about it. So um, ended up uh, contacting my one friend Brent um who's my childhood friend and one of my co-founders um and then my other childhood friend jonathan we're like all right let's just uh, start this company we'll call it claiborne and uh we'll just rock it and that's what we did so back in 20 2017 is when we started the company um after begging and pleading with so many of my uh, other childhood friends to to do it that were crushing it on the traditional market but yeah that's how it came that's how Clayborn came about
0: And what, what were you doing right before you jumped over to to the cannabis?
1: Um, I've always kind of been, a uh, marketing and sales kind of guy. So, um, I was what they call a production or a product manager, global product manager. So my company would basically buy, buy companies and then it would be my responsibility to expand them globally from a operations and sales and marketing perspective. Um, so that was, that was what I did for the majority of my career um, after I graduated college. So, Brought some of those skill sets over to over to this business, but, you know, life experiences also teach you a lot as well. So,
0: yeah, it's a different it's a different beast. But, you know, sales are a big part of what's driving this market. I mean, I've seen a couple companies not do very many things good besides sales and be somewhat successful, at least in the short term. So it's a big part, big part of this uh, this industry. What do, you, what do you like about cannabis compared to you know your career outside of cannabis?
1: Oh, man, it's a lot more exciting. Every day is a little different. You think every day is going to be maybe just a normal day. But that's something always curveball always gets thrown at you. So it's more exciting. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the the long and short of it, I guess. I mean, there's always there's amazing people in this industry. Um, The other industries I've worked in just not even close to just the I guess I don't know. There's just something unique Mm -hmm. if you're not in the cannabis industry it's hard to explain, right? Not that you aren't, but, um, you know, there's just this camaraderie about everything. Um, there, yeah, you have competitors in the marketplace, but we all have nothing but respect for each other for the most part in California. So, um, retailers get at it every once in a while, but from a producer and a brand perspective, generally speaking, it's nothing but love, which is really cool, you know, and there's a lot of great people in the industry, both that were, have been in the industry for decades and people that are just coming into the industry from the outside, um, your perspective kind of changes when you come, when you come from the outside and realize how, how awesome and grassroots this industry is. So,
0: yeah, I think, I think we, some, you said was unique, like the, the camaraderie, even between brands. I, I see, a lot of my friends, whether they're growers, breeders, own, own a brand, work for a brand. They, even if they claim all, oh, this is all I smoke. I know for a fact it is. everybody likes to try different products from everyone else. And so it creates this, I don't know, unique thing, right? Like every batch is a little bit different. Everyone's kind of coming out with new genetics. So, Cannabis is one of those, one of those things, whether you're talking about the community or like the products, people like to just try, even if they have their, you know, this is my brand I stick to, they're, they're always trying new things, you know, and finding new flavors, new genetics. Um, There's not a lot of other, I guess, consumer packaged goods where people do that.
1: No, no, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of like the uh, craft beer industry, I guess, Mm -hmm. in a way in that regards, flour specifically is like that. I wouldn't say the edibles or the creams or anything like that, but flower is very much so like the craft beer industry in my opinion um in that regards at least
0: absolutely and you know one one of the things that stands out about claymore to me is like you guys have a real like brand identity not a lot of brands focus on like imagery and like i know you guys do sponsorships there's all these things and and they seem to be in alignment it seems to i don't know some companies like overdo the lifestyle and it seems manufactured or they have no brand at all and it feels like you guys have like a real identity what has gone into Building that out and what are some components that that you feel like makes the the, the typical Claiborne? Uh, consumer a part of that demographic
1: That's a that's a good question. So um, Somebody recently told us they were they were talking to us about our branding and, and everything like that Some of the videos have been coming out with and things and their comment to us was um, You know Claiborne has a unique way of meeting the consumer where they are right and that's been our ethos since the beginning like We're not trying to come out here trying to act like we're something that we're not you know um we're also not trying to isolate certain demographics or anything like that we want to be broadly acceptable um you know in the marketplace and that goes through from the perspective of of how we're how we put our products to market and our product portfolio in general um and our price points um and then in our marketing um and branding efforts as well so like When we started the company, um, right off the bat, we pretty much, I don't know, like six months into us launching the brand, we suddenly had a very broad product portfolio because what we would do is we'd go to our retail partners, you know, back in 2018, 2019, and we'd ask them a very simple question, which is just what products are you missing on your shelf right now? Like, what is it that you wish if you were me, right? If you were sitting, trying to pitch, pitch yourself, what do you, what would you like to be pitched on? Right um like what is missing on your shelf and things like the power pack came out of that things like the premium small buds came out of that right we we kind of we really innovated that product segment right mm-hmm. um enhancing the flower experience with high quality keef <clears throat> with the power pack and the power stack for example point being Our product portfolio is a replication of our marketing efforts in the sense that we're trying to, we're not trying to be everything to everybody, right? But we want to be approachable and consumable Mm. by everybody, both from the product portfolio and um, from the athletes and the ambassadors that we align ourselves with, we're not just sticking to the hip hop stuff or anything like that. Right. We're trying to be, it seems like we're trying to be out of the box, but really we're just being us, I guess you could say, Mm. because Everybody smokes weed for the most part. Um, and what you're trying to do, what we're trying to do is just capture them at the price point that they feel comfortable with, right? We got our gold cuts, you buy eight for 75 bucks. Uh you got the private stock eights you could buy for 50 bucks. Um, or you got the power packs you could buy for you know 35, 40 bucks. So we're trying to capture the consumers at every price point, and then we offer the large format sizes for like the medical consumers or just the real heavy users that need that price break um, on larger formats. And they're willing to buy an ounce a week or whatever because we're giving them a discount to do it so there's a lot of innovations that we came out with that maybe don't seem very innovative uh from the outside looking in but the reality is we're kind of the some of the first ones to do these unique things with our products um and now we're rolling that same mindset into the ambassadors that we align ourselves with um, so specifically like eli eli mm-hmm. Nopuchia, mm-hmm. Uh, Nopuchia, he's a bull rider of all things right and he's a friend of a friend. He's just a badass kid that smokes a lot of weed and he loves Claiborne. And since he loves Claiborne, we love him. So we're like, let's show this guy a little love. So we did a video on him and posted it on our social media and we're using that in some of our marketing. And uh a couple months before that, we posted some stuff about Colin Provost, who's also a friend of a friend. He's mm-hmm. one of the hottest skate skateboarders out there right now. He's very much so the Claiborne mentality in terms of like he's very independent and individual with the way he dresses and the way that he uh you know even the tricks his trick selection even you know like he's always taken outside of the box and it was just like a natural fit for us to align with colin but believe it or not god love colin the eli video just blew up like because it was so unique yeah you know? and we got bull riders now following us you know we got bull riders buying claiborne we got eli uh you know pumping up Claiborne at the at the rodeos and stuff and it's just it's just cool you know and yeah. that just stems back to just we're just trying to be real and and uh do uh try to meet our customers where they where they are in their life you know and not make it all about clayborne but i'll make it all about the experience of to clayborne with what you do
0: i love and that's that's the true that's the true lifestyle aspect about it right compare putting it towards someone's lifestyle and i love i love the rodeo like in eli i think uh, at, at Hall of Flowers. I think that's when I first, I think you had mentioned to me that that was coming. And I grew up in a small town. I'm not, I'm not a country, I'm, I'm from the country. I'm not like a country farm boy type guy. But you got the a road- country I, accent. I, I, I know I do, but the, the rodeo is the biggest, biggest thing where I grew up. Like that's the biggest shit that happens all year. And so growing up, you know, may or may not have been involved with the, with the hand-to-hand commerce of cannabis for many, many years. <laughs> I can tell you that that is a very big market. And supremely underserved. When you just look at demographics that brands speak to, or partnerships with athletes that speak to, like nobody's looking at that in cannabis. And I can tell you, I mean, all the country folks and rodeo—I mean, they're they're smoking, man. They're smoking joints
1: for sure. They're smoking mad weed, and might, might as well be smoking Playboy. I
0: used I used to joke. I used to tell my friends we go to the rodeo, and
1: <laughs> I don't—I've never been a
0: cigarette smoker, but I would take a cigarette and I would. uh you know, take out the tobacco and then I'd plug it full of weed. And so I, I more than a few occasions, I might've been in a rodeo somewhere walking around <laughs> smoking, what looked like a cigarette, but it was, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I mean, uh, it may not be attractive to everybody, but the people that it is attracted to really, really get it, you know? And that's part of what it, that's part of what you're trying to do as a brand. Uh, everybody's after the hip hop scene, which as you know, I love the hip hop scene, but That wasn't high on our priority list Mm because there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of low hanging fruit that is just more naturally aligned with us. And, um, you know, my partner, Jonathan, he does, he does all the branding and marketing up until this year, or I'm sorry, last year, when we brought on some more team members to assist him and everything. But another thing that makes the Claiborne brand authentic is that it's all in house. We don't use agencies to do our, our design. We don't use agencies for anything. Um, so it's just. A little bit more authentic I guess you could say mm-hmm. um, just from the you know from the start so
0: yeah, absolutely and, and I love I love the approach you know it's unique I, I don't think that was a chance of something I've had to previously talk to you about was uh, your guys's approach to developing these product lines of talking to the retailers and finding out where the holes are um, again back back to my days when I when I was doing what I was doing you know there was more I, I, I carved out, I feel like what attributed to my my success in my business wasn't just offering the the regular things like I made a killing off of like the, the quarters for a discount and this isn't even like medical day This is just like the hand-to-hand. I made a killing off the quarters at a discount I made a killing off of the shake. I made a killing off of like people just wanted to buy sh- uh, keef or like even trim and so back when I was working with my growers I was probably like the only dude picking up packs that was like, yo, could I could you throw in some trim because I could keef the trim and I could sell the keef and then I could go ahead and sell the trim and I had a list of clientele that just, you know, they came to me and they could get different products that they couldn't necessarily get otherwise. And I know there's a demand for that. When you guys came up with with the power pack, for example, what was, was it just, was the inspiration just coming up with something unique or was it kind of combining those different elements in a, in a single package? What was kind of the inspiration behind that that product skew?
1: It was a little bit of both. Like that wasn't a Claiborne innovation, to be honest. That was one of our customers that, um, brought that idea up to us so again it just stemmed from us being very obsessed with pleasing our customers basically that includes the consumers and it includes the retail buyers so that was a retail buyer that came up with that idea actually where i was like hey man like same same thing i just told you what is missing on your shelf like if you could come up with your like most innovative product from a flower perspective what would you do maybe and he was like he was actually from washington and uh he's like man Back in the day, when somebody would come in and they wouldn't have enough money, I'd tell them to go buy some pretty good weed, right? Maybe some smalls or whatever, and buy a gram of keef. You combine those two, you'll be partying way harder than going to buy some super high-end flower yeah. product if you're on a budget. And that's what we did. We priced it accordingly, and it just took off from there. Plus, the keef is... The Keith is... The best keep out there. So some <laughs> may call cool. it hash. I don't know. But it's all trimmed in Keith. So it's extremely, extremely high quality.
0: And so you know for your guys' product lines, I know you, you just kind of you broke a little bit of the pricing a second ago, but you guys have the gold cuts, the private stock small buds, the flyers, and then eagle extracts. Could you kind of give me the 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 breakdown of each of these product lines?
1: Yeah. So the gold cuts is kind of our it's our top of the line flower that competes with some of the leaders in the industry, like antibiotics and connected and in labs, right? We're happy to be on a shelf with those guys. And uh, the gold cuts is primarily our in-house genetics um, stuff that my one of my co-founders Brent comes up with. He's a plant breeder, plant geneticist by trade. He's a he's a uh, I guess you could say a world-renowned plant breeder outside of cannabis, and his skill set's now coming into in cannabis. So uh, the gold cuts are primarily our in-house genetics, and then we also release like newer genetics from popular breeders in the gold pets as well so they're generally speaking like smaller batch um and they're handled with much more care like they get they all get hand packaged and things like that um that only comes in the eight ounce package and that's like the white and gold box and then one price point below that would be our private stock line and that's where we start getting like real wide with all the products we offer so the private stock line is that like. That mid to top shelf eighth, it's $50 eighth, but it comes in a gram, an eighth, a quarter ounce, a half ounce, and a one ounce. Um, And then like all Clay One products, we give the consumer a discount as they go up in size. Um, So, you know, it's cheaper to buy an ounce than it is to buy eight eighths, for example. So um, one step below that would be the premium small buds. So that's where, you know, that was another innovation by retail really, where retailers were like, man, I need an ounce that's affordable for my consumers but it's indoor it's not some swag it's not mm-hmm. outdoor right um not that there's anything wrong with outdoor but i want like a premium indoor ounce but it's got to be at around this price point so we just went back to the drawing board and we we're like all right i think we could do that and uh that's where we launched the premium small bud quarter ounce half ounce and one ounce that come in a glass jar it was an extremely popular product uh in some of those sizes nobody sells more of those products than Claiborne does in california which is a really cool thing to be able to say um and then the one step below that would be the power line. So, the power line is the yellow products that mm-hmm. would be the power pack, which is an eighth of small buds, the same small buds that come in the premium small bud line, and a gram of Keith. They come with a little shovel. And really, the whole point of the power pack is to be able to create your own, you know, create your own high, basically, right? People love the power pack. Um, there's nothing like a really nice, uh, you know, because I don't know, some people will smoke those things in like two sessions. I'm like, damn, they're like rolling fat blunts that are a power pack has four and a half grams in it right mm. so blunts are super popular products um or super popular um you know way to to consume a power pack and then the power stack is a little tube this is like my this is my favorite product personally but my team always makes fun of me but it's a it's a tube it's a power pack that's uh that's ground up and we call it a power stack so it's uh it's two grams of small buds that are ground up and then it's a gram of keef. so it's even more potent like per gram than a power pack but it's in a tube that's resealable so you shake it up mix up the keef and the in the flour how you want and then you've got you know you got three grams of product to go roll your own and seal it back up if you don't you know if you just want to roll like a one gram joint or whatever so it's a really cool another innovative product and it's at a great price point um and then we got our flyers product line which is our pre-rolls and we got our eagle extracts, which are our concentrates but primarily Claiborne is known for our flower products
0: yeah and and for you guys you know one of the things that stood out just for me for a while and then even talking to your team knowing that's a big part of your business are the small buds like it's not new for someone to have minis or like i said back in the day i made a killing off of selling shake but uh you know you guys really like owned that and i felt like built like uh you know not not i mean i guess a product you know you clearly you built a product line around that and i think a lot of people is kind of just like how do we you know, the bottom of the turkey bag or whatever obviously there's always going to be some fall off some small nugs or every crop is going to have that and it seems like people just kind of think of an afterthought how can we not throw this away how can we still monetize it where you guys really saw an opportunity where there's consumer demand much like i said what i saw in the past is your heavy consumer that buys a lot and once smokes good weed likely isn't that same person that's shelling out you know 90 dollars an eighth every single day right they're trying to buy in bulk and that that by anyone that knows it, if you're rolling up joints or blunts it doesn't matter if it's a big nug or small nugs you know you're breaking it down anyways and so is that what you guys have seen is that that demographic for those small buds is really that hardcore smoker who's not just buying it but buying it pretty pretty religiously
1: yeah absolutely i mean um people fiend for the Claiborne premium small bud half ounce and one ounce especially because it's just a great deal i mean it's great flower it's available almost everywhere um in you know our, our strain selection is awesome and uh like i said there's nothing wrong with the flower just because it's smaller buds but we just don't want to make have that be the presentation in a private mm-hmm. stock or a gold cut product um so yeah it's great product and the people that are buying those are most primarily they're the heavy users right the medical customers oftentimes are the ones that are buying ounces because they can buy you know eight ounces at a time in california and things like that so um people that really really rely on the product and that's why a lot of times in the premium small but half ounce and one ounce you're going to have very clear and like classic strain selections like if you look at our menu right now we've got a bunch of Durban poison for example um bunch of chem dog for example um we got uh you know some of the clap like newer classics like the wedding cakes and the mm-hmm. gmos and stuff like that because those consumers that like those those large format sizes that are going to buy an ounce at a time, and spend 250 to 350 bucks a pop on a Playboy purchase. They want the like heavy consistency. They're not the ones that are out there trying to like try this strain today and that strain mm. tomorrow. Those people are buying grams. Those people are buying eights. You know, that's what those consumers are buying. But folks buying half ounces and one ounces, they they like they really rely on it. You'd be surprised how many uh emails we get a week of people just looking for very specific strains, even just very specific batches. I had this Durban poison batch, uh, you know, a month ago that had this much THCV in it. And, you know, where can I find this batch? Do you have any more? And those are the consumers that are like very, very particular, um, Are those half ounce and one ounce uh, consumers. Same thing with the power packs a little bit too, though, because it can really stretch out that four and a half grams with the Keef and it's like you know the Keith's testing at fifty percent THC or mm-hmm. so. It's just extremely high like quality beef, They can stretch out their dollar with that product. You know,
0: and so with the, with that finding what these consumers want, being able to say that, I'm sure some of it's gut instinct and understanding the market. Some of it's looking at data, and then clearly you said there's communication not only with the stores but directly with the consumers. What what does that feedback loop look like for you guys with with consumers? Like how do you got how do you guys communicate with with consumers?
1: Listen, a lot of people, there's a lot of people that say they're obsessed with the consumer and stuff, but I can legitimately tell you, Claiborne is absolutely obsessed with what our consumers think about us and what our our retail customers think about us. So to the extent that, you know, we rely heavily on our retail partners. They generally know all the answers. If you just really dig in because they're at the front line, they see what's going on, right? They see what customers are asking for, so on and so forth. Um, But as the industry progressed and the shelf got more full and more people were creating the products that we started creating originally. Um, we had to go deeper and stay ahead of our comp- competition and make sure that we we're getting a continuous feedback loop from our customers, from our consumers. So what we did actually was we put a QR code on every single product. and we developed this program called curate Claiborne and curate, meaning like curate your experience, create, curate the brand in general, tell us what you want to see more of yeah. or less of, or what products you want to see in general and you take control of curating the Claiborne product portfolio long-term. So a lot of great ideas have come directly from our consumers because we have a QR code on the back of every single product. It says, I think it says specifically, Claiborne gives a damn scan here and tell us what you thought about the products, mm-hmm. scan a QR code, takes you through a quick survey. Um, and we get phenomenal feedback on a daily basis from our consumers. Most of it, the vast majority of it is extremely positive. Some of it's negative, but that's how we, make changes right that's how we evolve as a company we want all the feedback constantly coming to us so on a daily basis our sales team and our management team is getting the curate clayborne feedback reports every single day we're reviewing our curate clayborne reports and Mm. using that to guide our retailers into what products they should be carrying um you know guide our product development all that good stuff so again we're absolutely obsessed with uh the feedback loop from our retail partners and our consumers and that's i don't know of any other anybody else that's going to that extent to get that information and our marketing team developed that in-house which was even cooler one day we were like hey we need to get more consumer feedback and like a week later they're like all right here's how we're going to do it (laughs) so it's pretty cool
0: yeah yeah and it's it's funny i'll say just from us reviewing and getting you know purchasing so many products across fucking all over the place. I can't tell you how many QR codes you scan and actually are a broken link. It's actually very, very common. Um, But it's unique that you guys are using that to push the feedback and even putting that little tagline on there. We give a damn, right? Like getting the mindset of encouraging someone. So how important is it? You said you get a little bit of, you know, a lot of positive feedback, a little bit of negative feedback. How important is the the negative feedback? Because I mean, I know personally, right? Like unless it's overwhelmingly positive, that's an indication. All right, we're going the right way. Usually, for me personally, like, negative feedback is more useful in terms of, like, making adjustments.
1: 100%. It's, that's, you, you have to get negative feedback. Not everything is all rosy, you know. The eights, the nines, the ten ratings, you know, I mean, yes, those are awesome. It makes us feel good. And it tells us what strains we should, we should grow more of, or where we should guide our breeding program, for example. Um, But what is really important in the here and now is the negative feedback, right? And it can be very simple. Like um, a good example is our flyers. So, our flyers pre rolls, we, we offer a two pack, a five pack, and we offer a 20 pack of, of flyers joints. Our two pack, our customers are having an issue getting the joints out of the glass tube because the neck on the glass tube was too narrow. We didn't realize it until we had Curate Claiborne, and customers are like, I can't get these MF and pre rolls out of the tube. So immediately we switched over. We got a, uh, you know, we had a ton of inventory of the of the other tubes. We, whatever, we, we threw them in the trash and we uh, got the new tubes. And now the customers can dump them right out. Right. So just all the little things. And then you know we obviously go back to our consumers that left us the negative feedback and we tell them, hey, we fixed this. Go try some product. Let us know what you think. So it's a very powerful tool uh, mm. to engage with our consumers at a different level than I think any other cannabis brand is engaging with their consumers
0: yeah it's it's important for us absolutely i mean you gotta obsess over this someone i don't know who it was someone on linkedin had said that the other day that 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 cannabis is a it's a customer service market it's not you know a lot of people put it as retail but it's really it's like a service of being in service to people and i think that's a different approach you could take to any business whether you're b2b or or b2c I, i think it's a good approach to have to build long lasting relationships with those that are your consumers
1: yeah, 100. I mean, we're shaping what cannabis is going to be in the future. You know, what I mean, especially in California, in my opinion. I've, you know, everybody's got their own opinion about California cannabis culture and how important it really is. But I mean, I don't think you can, I don't think you can knock the fact that innovation, cannabis innovation, is happening in California more so than probably in most other places. And this is an example of one of those things, right? I mean, this is how you stay on the forefront as a business, but then also as a state cannabis market and so on and so forth but i don't think we know where cannabis is going to be in five years you know i mean no. who's actually still going to be smoking flour i don't know They're going to be drinking their weed i have no idea right some may yeah. say that everybody's going to be drinking their weed
0: let's get they, that
1: you know figured out to a different level but
0: i'll yeah. I'll still be smoking man so you can, you can count on me you know one we'll put one down for flour five years from now i don't mean to say it say it um, you know, something that, that you guys added, I felt like, you know, a lot, a couple of people have done, but for, from, again, from just the outside looking in, you guys seem to early adopt the, the D to C model in terms of flower brands that, that hopped on that. What, what was the, just the time and learning investment it took to, to, to start getting that program up and running?
1: Oh man, we're still trying to figure it out. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we've been D C for, I don't know, seven months now, something like that. And it's a whole different ballgame, man. Like we thought it was gonna be easy. Uh, you know, we are naive enough to think, yeah, customers are just out there all looking for clayboard, but you know, you gotta you gotta put a lot of effort into making sure your customers even know that they can do it. And it's a fine, it's a fine line, a fine balance, right? Because we're not trying to take our customers away from our brick and mortar retail partners. That's a wasted effort. That's just changing them from a one of our retail uh, you know customers to a direct customer. And that's not what we're out to do. What we're really out to do with the direct consumer is capture those consumers that are living in, you know, cannabis deserts in California where you drive 50 miles or 60 miles and there's no cannabis retail, you know, Mm. that's who we're really trying to capture. So um, will we ever be an ease or a a grass door or anything like that? Probably not. Right. But the point is to be able to start planting the seed in these cannabis deserts, like I said, where eventually they will have brick and mortar retail, but they don't right now. So let's introduce them to the brand. Let's get them going on Claiborne, um, you know, before they have ready access uh, to cannabis, you know, rec rec cannabis.
0: And that, and that brings up, you know, another question I had down is, um, in this market there's like two different parts right Like a lot some industries there's like a direct sales process where you're just selling to one customer and in cannabis it's traditionally um, you know you sell to a retail there's a b2b aspect and then there's b2c and whether they're coming into the store or not you still have to from the brand side do certain things to leverage that communication or messaging to the end consumer so you're technically marketing to Two complete demographics, and you add D to C in there, and that strengthens that other side of it. So, what has your guys's approach been of of building relationships and marketing and doing sales on the you know to the dispensaries and, and retail outlets, but then also on the other side of that of going to the consumers? Do you got how do you guys like segment the two and and
1: balance the effort there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really I don't know. It's kind of one and the same in a way. Like if we're marketing, we have our B2B marketing and then we have our you know, consumer marketing, whether that's direct to consumer, like we're trying to get them to transact on ClaiborneConnect.com, or we're trying to get them to request Claiborne products when they go into the local dispensary, right? Um, the video, the content that we put out around our ambassadors and stuff like that, really they're kind of dual purpose. Just depends on where the consumer lives basically, where they're making their purchases. Um, and we, we regurgitate that exact content in our retail settings. We don't own retail, but you know, in our retail partner settings. Um, I hope that by the end of February, you're going to see hundreds of, uh, retailers in in California with the Eli bull rider video in the lobby, because that's probably a lot cooler for a customer to see than another, you know, shot of a vape cartridge flying through the screen or something like Mm. that, you know? like engaging content and hopefully that engaging content will naturally want them to pick up the Playboy product when they walk through that door and get held by a bud tender. So I would say the effort that the real effort is on the digital side, I think is where things really change because our B2B marketing was really going deep on trying to educate our retail partners and staying front of mind for them through emails and so on and so forth. But then when it comes to the, the digital marketing to consumers, that's where we had a big learning curve because Frankly, we didn't have anybody on our team that was an expert at digital marketing and how to capture consumers and convert them into customers, whether they're going into brick and mortar retail or buying on Clayborne Connect. So we actually, you know, we had to expand our marketing team for the, the direct-to-consumer efforts. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm still learning, but luckily we got some experts on the team now that are building some really cool uh, campaigns, and uh, functionality for us to to start actually being a leader in the digital marketing space in cannabis, because as you also know, it's, you know, you don't just go to Google ads and say, Hey, <laughs> let me uh, post some, you know, let me get some uh, banner ads of Playborn, you know, Tropic Fury on your email or something. Right. It, it's not like that. So lots of roundabout things you got to do, rely heavily on merchandise sites and non cannabis, you know, related things, but yeah it's definitely a challenge but again that's why we do it in cannabis because it's just a little bit harder to do everything but it's also a lot more it's also a little bit more gratifying when you get it done so absolutely
0: yeah absolutely you got you got to be creative there's roadblocks uh, galore in the digital space but i, I like i like that that you guys have that approach it's not something i think we spoke about previously and i i like that 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 you view that approach, because that's something that we actively preach to people that when you when a brand creates content, it, it's multi-purpose, right? If you're putting out, whether you're putting out imagery, uh, lifestyle imagery and connecting brands and products to specific lifestyles, or you're putting out things that tend to be a little more educational, bringing awareness to different components or, or whatever it is that makes a product unique. Um, I think a lot of brands miss the mark and use it strictly for one or the other, right? They use it strictly, a lot of them get pigeonholed on using it strictly on the the consumer putting it on Instagram and not understanding that same content has value to the bud tenders or to the buyers or to the retail partners. Everybody in here can learn something of what's unique to that product. And the more people that learn it, obviously the better for the brand.
1: Yep. Yep. We're taking I mean, again, something we learned the hard way, but uh twenty twenty this year, twenty twenty two, um, there you're gonna see a lot of Clay content coming out. Um the Eli video, the Colin video, those are just scratching the surface we got a lot of awesome things coming out with some some uh freestyle motocross stuff um some non-sport related things um we've got a a chain stitcher that um does does a lot of chain stitching work for post Malone um that is a friend again a friend of a friend Mm we are making him into an ambassador because he loves Claiborne and we love him because he loves Claiborne and we're rocking it so you're gonna see some you're gonna see some uh pretty cool things coming out that chain stitcher you know these makers these doers you know again just trying to meet the meet the consumer where they are uh whether they like chain stitching or not they probably like post malone and the dude that makes the clothes for post malone you know it mm-hmm. all comes first full circle but all that content like you said has to be that the, the, the Clayborne message is the Clayborne message whether you're putting it out on instagram or you're trying to express yourself in a retail environment or you're trying to express yourself with um you know roundabout google ads whatever um the message is the message it doesn't doesn't matter where you're putting it and it's got to be multi-purpose otherwise you're kind of wasting your money you know we're all trying to get an roi on a marketing spend and if it ain't multi-purpose probably ain't gonna make the cut
0: Amen. Amen. What do you with with all this with all this feedback with consumers and then obviously looking at data and I mean, you've been running a company in the space for a while, so there's a lot of gut instinct I feel like you have to offer. But what do you think the typical cannabis consumer? What are some of the things that matter
1: most to them? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, we, by the way, we try our best to never go on gut instinct. We think that that's okay. uh, an area where a lot of other brands falter. And I think that that's why I, like we have, there's some amazing breeders in the marketplace, right? But there's a reason in my opinion, why when you see the genetics that hit the market, although there's some really good genetics out there, a lot of times they all kind of start converging in on themselves. They're just a little different and a real connoisseur can tell the difference, but they're all, they all start Mm -hmm. kind of converging in so. Uh, even when we go to like our breeding program and things like that, our breeding program is one of the main reasons we have curated claymore is to take that data. You know, people love, love, love Durban Poison or any hydropenyline strains, right? And we start, you know, our breeding program is heavily, heavily focused on hydropenyline strains because breeders just haven't really there's some breeders that have, but the vast majority of new genetics that hit the market are heavy cake, gelato, you know cookies hybrids um not enough going in that direction of you know true sativa lovers that that want like a a true like uh you know Durban poison type experience but a new Durban poison experience right Mm. um but uh point being we try not to go with our gut and the consumers listen it's it's like it's like what I said earlier about the large format sizes one of the unique things at Claiborne that we get to do is that we have so many products we get to see what the different consumers really like So like the large format sizes, like the half ounces and one ounces, they like consistency. They're not out for the next new genetics. For the most part, they like what they, you know, they like what they like, Um, but it has to be consistent. It's gotta be high quality. And I think what a lot of people miss is it's gotta be it's, there's a quality to price factor here. You know what I mean? Like, um, cannabis consumers within the pricing bands, are not very that they're price sensitive once they're in their pricing band. like i'm not mm-hmm. spending more than 50 bucks on an day you know um, but they'll spend 40 to 50 you know depending on the quality um, or the brand or you know what experience they've had with the, with the brand in the past um, but like i said it just depends on the price point what customers want so on the flip side from the large format sizes you talk about like gold cuts for example like those customers generally speaking want they want the new, new like they want to try the new stuff you know i'll spend 70 bucks i'm a connoisseur i know what i'm talking about they're typically the most harsh right mm-hmm. um in terms of their criticism they either love it they're going to compare you to antibiotics they're going to compare you to connected and Indian labs and all the other brands that you know have a certain aura around them or they're going to hate it and they're going to rip you a new one but that's you know you learn from that stuff you know um So to answer your question directly, it just depends on the, it it depends really on the price point that the consumer is shopping and what their like real consumption, um, needs. And I guess like consumption levels are right. Like how much they're really consuming on a, on a weekly basis. Cause a lot of connoisseurs, they're not consuming an ounce a week because they Mm -hmm. got, you know, back pain that they can't figure out how to cope with, you know, it's a different mentality, and, um, you know, you got to be able to service all of them in some to some extent um, when you're a flower company. Um, but quality, repeatability, the dependability of the brand, you know, uh, how fresh is the product when I pick it up from the retailer mm-hmm. shelves. We actually incentivize our retailers to not place big orders. There's a little secret about Clayborne. We actually incentivize our retailers to go wide. We call it wide, not deep. Like mm-hmm. I would really rather you buy, um, you know, four strains and a QP of each than buy a pound of one strain, I'll deliver it to you next week, man. If you really, really need more, or I'll deliver it to you tomorrow. If you really really need more, but I want the consumer mm-hmm. to have the best experience possible with our products. And when it comes to the storage of flour and things like that, the, the market isn't where it needs to be really in terms of like. This, in terms of um you know how the, the knowledge of flour right and the fact that it's it's a perishable product it's analogous to produce in my opinion in terms of the way that you need to store it and keep it fresh and there's it's got a shelf life um and um you know there's a little education that needs to go on I guess in the, in the market from a, a retailer and, and brand um, distributor perspective so we're all in alignment on that but um, it's all about making sure that your product is high quality on the shelf and your consumers would have a good, a good experience with it.
0: He's, a, he's dropping gems out there. He said, don't buy too much, man. We got to keep it fresh for the consumer. And that's, that's probably a little bit different, right? That the traditional sales focused approach is slang it and bang it, man. Take it backwards.
1: Take it. Yeah. Seems backwards. And even some of our retailers, like it takes, it takes time to get them to convert in their head. Like, Oh, you don't need a pound of this, dude. I'll- deliver you more tomorrow you know um so yeah
0: consumer yeah consumer focus and i mean it's, it's clearly working out for you guys you guys are you know moving volume when you look at the flower market in california you guys are you know like certain categories you guys are at the top you know i think overall for all products I think last year you guys were close in the top 15 brands
1: i think correct or might have even cracked the top 10 for
0: sales volume. For all. So for, for
1: all categories, I think we ended last year at like number 12 or something like that. Really okay. like the headset and BDS, but number 12 or something like that for all categories. But um, flower, we we're generally anywhere between number one and number four mm-hmm. um, in terms of flower, which is very interesting because the top four brands are always like we talked about earlier price segmentation. The top four brands, there's always uh, an extremely top shelf like antibiotics. Like that's all they do. Is that 60 to 75 rate And you got claiborne one price point below that you got like the glasshouse farms of the world one price point below that And you got the pack stones of the world one price point below that so the top four brands were always flip-flopping um but it's very interesting how it works in california where you know the top four brands are made up of four distinct price points mm. which yeah you talk about data and stuff i talk all day about that type of thing yeah obsessed with that kind of thing and it's always very interesting to me that that's how it always works out in
0: california that's you know i haven't even thought of that but i'm it's very apparent because i look at that same (laughs) those same data sets so i I like that and even your approach of just the consumers which you the consumer bands uh uh, you know you know you know what you're talking about your your approach of this uh methodically and uh yeah i didn't even think about that servicing all those and interesting it's not you don't see multiple top shelf brands or or, you know two of the same right you don't see a pepsi and a coke doing it out it's people filling different
1: different gaps in the market exactly exactly and with cannabis it's all about owning your lane of pricing you know Mm -hmm. when it comes to flower at least when it comes to concentrates i guess that's also a similar thing because you got um you got your raw gardens of the world that absolutely dominate concentrates but you know second is typically going to be your uh, 710 labs so mm-hmm. you know you got your value you know high quality value and then you've just got your absolute connoisseur level um which i guess would be kind of analogous to like your, your pack stone and your antibiotics so mm-hmm. yeah it's very interesting i guess how that all works
0: what so what has the approach been for you guys to scale to that level flower is a difficult um a difficult category to scale right if you're making edibles and you're just putting distillate in edibles like it's very easy to sca- scale distillate or even distillate carts those are very easy or I won't say very easy cuz none of this is easy but much easier to scale than flour yeah. what have been some of the components and things you guys have had to adjust and 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 pay attention to when scaling a flour brand
1: man we talk a lot about sales and marketing but the reality is you got to have like world-class operations day. that's what it's all really that's what it all really comes down to you know that's where the rubber meets the road you got to get that product to the to the retail customers quick and it's got to be consistently produced um from from the the mom room to the clone room to the packaging room and all of the infinite steps in between they're all important and um from a scaling perspective that's where the focus is, right? Because you got to be able to produce and put out high quality, consistent product because consumers don't forget about bad experiences and um, you got to be able to do it consistently regardless if you're putting out, you know, uh, hundred pounds a month or you're putting out, you know, 1500 pounds a month, you got to be able to do it consistently and as you're growing and you're bringing new consumers onto your brand, you got to continue to offer them that same experience. Mm. And, you know, like, like a lot of brands, 2020 is really like back into 2019 beginning of 2020 that's when Claiborne really popped and we just like you know really really took off and we took it all you know we took it all in stride i think we did a pretty good job of keeping our quality control um you know tight and um yeah i guess i think that answers your question i mean it's it's mm-hmm. really all about the operations you got to be able to scale your sales approach and stuff like that um sales people are just so so important to the business um and, uh, you know, marketing's gotta be, gotta be in the store. You gotta be on top of the consumer trends and all that stuff. You can't be a desk jockey in cannabis. Like if you're not in the store, you're disconnected automatically. Mm-hmm. Cause somebody, you got a competitor out there that is in the store, you know, you know, when we started Claiborne, you know, I was the first salesperson, you know, we'd be packing, uh, you know, we'd be packing our eights and our ounces at night and then i you know, we'd go deliver them the next day that's how we built it brick by brick you know we built our grow with our own two hands um and just gives you a different appreciation in terms of how to scale the business and how to do it very methodically and you know profitably and stuff like that so you can continue to scale the team you know that that supports the effort so yeah Yeah, long-winded answer no, essence, no, 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 but,
0: but yeah. it's good. And I think, I don't think there's enough emphasis, especially usually, you know, a, a lot of our conversations tend to be more on the marketing side. That's just more of what we're nerds about. Um, and we do a little bit of, but I think you're, I mean, the the operations aspect is absolutely essential to scale any business, but especially, you know, when you're talking about, uh, agriculture good, that's, you know, an incredible, I mean, an incredibly sensitive plant. Nice. at that, right. It's, it's very difficult to, replicate things over and over and doing that at scale becomes incredible you know increasingly harder and you got to be ready because
1: shit happens for sure nobody's perfect especially yeah. when you're talking about cultivation and you're bringing on new genetics and stuff man you got to be ready because shit happens you know and uh and you know you gotta have the you gotta have the cash to to be able to get through those issues and, and things like that but um you know not every crop is the same you know, mm-hmm. somebody on here put Claiborne Cushman's. We love our Cushman's, The man, it took, it took a while to get that cut, to really perform mm. like it does now. You know, it took us two years to get that cut. to so just really be dialed, dialed. Mm. you know, um, where it's yielding very consistently. The cure is always very consistent in terms of the timing and everything. Um, and, uh, all the way down to the packaging. You know, when do you put it in the jar? You know, when do you seal that thing up? Um. It all matters and flowers just you know if you can make it in flower you can make it in california cannabis you can make it anywhere in my right. opinion but if you can make it in california flower i mean you can do anything at that point because the plant is finicky man the yeah it's and- finicky and it's a it's a perishable product and people got to think about it that way
0: yeah i don't i don't i don't think i mean i i don't it's not that i don't think i know the average consumer doesn't understand like what the difficulty that it takes like you said dialing into genetic because it's like does it look right because if it doesn't look right in the bag it's not going to sell is it producing the right thc because if it's not hitting the right the right percentage it won't sell even if you as a breeder or company you know like it and then it's like (laughs) does it you know yield right makes it financially viable to continue to grow like there's so many different things that have to be you know it has to check so many boxes whereas an average consumer could pick up something and be like oh i love this and then you as the as the company could be like oh dude, that's the fucking worst for you know this reason we can't keep it consistent or it doesn't yield enough for us to keep in production and i don't think the consumer doesn't understand like all these different no, components and it's yeah. hilarious
1: because like yeah it's hilarious because when you're like in the business right my partner brent who runs our breeding and cultivation every time i'm like damn that one is amazing he's like oh that one fucking sucks it's so hard to do there's always something right it's like come on man kushmas though is one that it's dialed you know but that's what also what it comes down to sometimes right like gold cuts they could be so good but it's not like you're selling them at a higher price just because they're so good sometimes you got like you got to sell them at the higher price otherwise you can't sell them Mm -hmm. because they don't yield for shit or whatever you know um so it's rare to find something that checks literally all the boxes um we have a couple that check all the boxes but it's pretty rare to find varieties that check that literally check all the boxes
0: yeah it's different. i mean that's even for us when we review and rate we you know rate strains we put it on 10 different things and we say like even the best of the best it's not gonna hit a 10 on everything because the most potent thing usually isn't the best tasting thing and like the bet you know what i mean there's certain components that like sometimes being really good in one category just naturally are going to take away from another category so it's like It's, you know, when you're growing something like this it's some it's impossible at times to check every single box possible. Yeah. And then on that, you know, the the THC, I ask, I try to ask every guest this because I just feel like this conversation continually needs to be had. But, um, you know, the THC conversation, everyone in the industry, you know, says it doesn't matter, but the consumer seems to buy off it, which drives the buyers to buy off it. So what's your take on THC percentage and and what what really matters about that.
1: So w- since, since day 1 when we launched our brand, we were I think until very recently the only brand in California that did full cannabinoid and terpene profile breakdowns on all of our packages, right? I'm not talking about just like posting up what the total terpene content is or posting up with, you know the state mandated THC and total mm-hmm. cannabinoids and CBD, right? talking about every the top five uh, cannabinoids and the top five terpenes and that was all to try to start building this mindset of um and we used to have a poster you can find this poster in a lot of the retail uh, uh break rooms and things like that or in their showrooms it says it's not all about the thc and it goes through you know the benefits of certain terpenes and certain cannabinoids and so on and so forth but the main point is it says big bold letters on the top says it's not all about the thc but the reality is connoisseurs right now are the only ones that know it's not all about thc and the connoisseurs in my opinion are a very loud very vocal but small subsegment mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. consumer base the rest of the consumer base is like price for potency and it's pretty sad because the retailers have to do what they have to do right they think that like if they don't have a 35 percenter on the menu the consumer is going to walk out they're going to go to the next shop that's got a 35 percent the and therefore it never balances itself out right it never it never just solves itself in terms of the consumer constantly potency chasing Mm -hmm. products no matter how much education you do we've been trying to educate customers for the past three years as one of the biggest brands in California they don't give a shit about that stuff to be honest the connoisseurs do and they get it which I love the rest of them don't care they're thinking about dollars and cents for the most part you know Mm -hmm and they can they can understand that indoor flowers there's something unique about it and the experience is generally speaking more consistent and more you know whatever you want to say right more clean whatever um but um so that they'll they'll play within those pricing tiers like i said like i said earlier right so you can find a 35 percent thc for 25 bucks mm-hmm. all day anywhere but if it was all about potency and it was only like really only only about potency that every, everybody would, the consumers would only be buying $25 to $35.8s that are tested over 30% THC, mm-hmm. yet I got to, you know, mad respect for cannabis. Cannabis often, like most of their products but that I see on the shelf, they're not over 30% THC. They're that 26 to 29% THC, and they're one of the top selling brands in California, and they're the most expensive.
0: Mm-hmm. Connoisseurs
1: love cannabis, right? Um, and, you know, they've just taken a different approach with that education piece, I guess, and just, you know, they obviously also grow extremely high quality flour, um, but it's not gonna solve itself until testing is normalized, basically. And even when testing is normalized and, and there's standardized methodologies in California for how to test things like THC and microbials and pesticides, um, you know, it's not gonna solve itself, but even when there is, there's still gonna be certain THC contents. Uh, there's uh, there are always gonna be certain varieties that. That naturally uh, test higher THC, like the chem dog hybrids and and uh you know, a lot of the cake hybrids and stuff like that. They're always gonna test higher THC than the Chihados mm-hmm. and things like that, generally speaking. And um, you know, we'll see what happens. Cause even when testing is standardized, there's still gonna be high THC stuff and low THC stuff. And it's all about, you know, it's all about what you what you prefer as a consumer. And it's gonna be a long time before price per potency is not a thing anymore, if, if it ever is a thing, if, right. if it ever goes away, you
0: know? Right. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. The standardization of testing is wild because even, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time in the California market. I have a lot of clients down there, but I live in Washington and like THC everywhere. I mean, the East Coast here, THC is definitely the, the main contributor to sales at, at retail, I think by volume in any state, but it's in Washington. It's like, you don't see near as many cannabis testing over 30%. Whereas you go to California, that's kind of almost like the baseline of like what people judge and like me, me as a consumer, at least up in Washington, a lot of the bud that I like is from smaller craft guys that, you know, like you're speaking to the the connoisseur. So they don't necessarily care about that and they, they don't Mm -hmm. grow a ton of volume. So it's not they don't concern but i just bought an eighth the other day and then i, I mean it was loud and i looked at it and it was like 17 percent thc and i was just like oh. how do these guys even like sell sell like i don't care i don't even look at it i didn't even look at it so i was done smoking it but um but i was like man this would have never <laughs> sell in california but it's hell no kill
1: it is some hell kill. No. It is
0: kill man it Dude, 35 so
1: 35, 35 is the new 30 now in california i'm talking about thc not even total cannabinoids man yeah now now people are looking at you weird if you if your test between 30 and 35 they're like wait but everything else on this menu over here from this other brand is 35 to 39 what's up with that it's like i don't know man i'm over it yeah either buy it or don't
0: yeah it's it's an interesting thing you know we we can only hope i've been i've been you know, waiting for to waiting for some retail guys to like focus. I've spoke to some that say they do it, but I'm waiting for some retail people to really just beat people over the head with that. Like people start talking about THC to train their bud tenders and be like, no, bro. Like, fuck. Don't look at that. Don't look at they're that. They're trying. We, they're trying. Leave, they're leave the store. <laughs> leave yeah. the store. If that's oh yeah. You. That
1: I don't going to do that. that, no. Do that. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody's going to do that. I wouldn't want to do that.
0: No, but yeah. they're trying.
1: They're trying, you know, Every shop has those one or two bud tenders, you know, that are like Mm -hmm. heavy on the terpenes and the education and they'll speak till they're blue in the face advocates for for terpenes instead of THC, but you know, it's an uphill battle, but we're along for the ride. We've been, that's what I'm saying. We've been along for the ride since day one. We set our products up to be able to, for those one or two bud tenders at every shop, Mm. you know, we set ourselves up to, for them to be able to talk to our products better than other products, basically so but it still isn't working i guess so. yeah
0: well, yeah we're not changing the world yeah well, i was doing doing god's work man trying to tell him thc percentage doesn't matter what, what do you, what is what is Claymore and else i mean you alluded to it you had a lot of content coming this year but what what's on the docket for 2022. we got a lot of
1: new genetics sitting in the gold cuts line and in the private stock line uh brent did a lot of work a lot of really good work last year um very interesting hybrids that uh or we'll be, like I said, releasing the Gold cuts line and in the um, and in the private stock line. Um, we're hoping to be able to come out with some solventless products uh, early on in the year. Um, we still don't have any solventless products and that's obviously the way of the mm-hmm. future. Um, and um, yeah, we got some secret stuff too that I don't wanna talk about right now, but um, trying to leave a little bit of, of uh, stuff in the back pocket. But from a content perspective, um, you're going to see us go deep, deep, deep on the, uh, on the athlete, just the ambassador stuff in general, Mm -hmm. right. Trying to be first to market with that in a, in a big way, right. Where we're actually putting content together where Claiborne is kind of the secondary in the content, which is, you know, seems backwards, but it's about trying to engage with the consumer Mm -hmm. outside of just cannabis. So like we do a lot of events that are non cannabis events, of course, you go to the cannabis events, right. But we go to just as many if not more non-cannabis events whether they be the local dirt bike track or we went to a fishing expo in long beach a couple weekends ago i mean you know fishermen smoke a lot of weed you know Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. so again trying to engage the consumer uh, and build consumers outside of where they're just being bombarded with cannabis content in uh, dispensaries and, and and whatnot
0: Awesome. Well, I love it. We look forward to that, man. Nick, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast and talking cannabis today. Um, and wish you guys nothing but success for the rest of the year, man. Well, not just Thanks, this man. year and beyond, you know. Oh, yeah, I appreciate beyond, that. You know.
1: Appreciate that. Cool, man. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you. This is the RMR podcast episode 26 with Clayborne Cannabis. We'll see you guys next time.